Right, well, good morning from my side as well. We are starting a brand new series this morning, which actually ties up 100% with what Tammy just shared. And she, I don't think she knew what I was going to share today or, or what today's particular focus is. But we are starting a series, it's just a, a small, short series on what is arguably the best known psalm in the world. Whether you are familiar with church or not, if you've been to a funeral, there's a good chance it's been read. Uh, most Many, many people, I don't know about most, but many, many people of all the Psalms would most likely be familiar with this one, and that is Psalm 23, where we're taking a look at the Good Shepherd. Now, before I get into the passage, uh, I want to just acknowledge that we would be in very different places in our journey with God or in our journey of exploration. So I want to make it abundantly clear. Every time we ever meet together on a Sunday, we want there to be space for people that are exploring, for people that are not yet sure, for, for people that don't know exactly what they believe. So, so everyone from those exploring to those that have been around for decades. And there are a few of you. And I've known some of you for a few decades. That's scary. That's maybe more humbling than anything else, because I still feel like some of the guys on the video there, I still feel like I'm 21 and 22, but, but I realize that they don't think I'm like a 21, 22. Anyway, so, so whether or not you've been walking with God for a really long time or whether you're, you're exploring, I'm, I'm hoping that there's something in this psalm that you can catch, and this is more about something to be caught than taught. So, so we'll touch on, on minor points that, that have to do with teaching, but if you don't walk out of here today, and out of here over the next few weeks, as we take a look at this incredible description of who God is, with a greater sense, so not just, a, not just knowledge, not just theory, but an actual sense of He is my good shepherd. Yeah. He really, really is my good shepherd. I really can trust him. In fact, I, I think that probably all six verses, so this whole psalm, if there, if there were to be a single theme, I would probably argue that it should be trust. And that's the part that we're going to take a look at today, but we decided to just go with the title that we have. But everything about this psalm speaks to the fact that we can trust our good shepherd. And that's why most scholars argue that David, from King David fame, from David and Goliath fame, from the infamous David and Bathsheba, not such good fame. They argue that he, that most scholars argue that he did not write this when he was still a shepherd. So as a younger teenage boy or a young adult, but most likely that he wrote this at the latest or latest stages of his life after he had been through some stuff. After he had fought Goliath and seen God actually deliver him and the nation of Israel. After, he had, after God had protected him while he was on the run for his life from King Saul, um, when he was the inferior and when he was on the run from his own son, when he was king and the superior, that he would be able to look back to times in his life where he, where he engaged in his worst failure, that of forcing Bathsheba. In all likelihood, it would have been forcing because he's the king. In that culture, she wouldn't have had much choice. Taking a married woman, committing adultery, and then arranging for the murder of her husband. He, you talk about valleys. You talk about working through shame, rediscovering that God's grace really might just be enough to, to redeem anyone that is humble and turns to him. He knows what it is to, to be praying for his son to survive, his baby to survive, and the baby still dies. He knows what it is to be betrayed by one of his sons. 
he lived through some stuff. When he says that, that the Lord is my shepherd, please understand that this is not just nice, cute, pretty, trite, poetic theory. This is not, he, he, he's not just trying to be encouraging and, hey guys, the Lord's my shepherd. I just feel like a little lamb. I think, I think he knew what it was to be on the run from predators and to have his shepherd look after him. I think he knew what it was to, to, be, to be led beside quiet waters where he could be still and replenish and restore his soul. He knew what it was to go through a valley. In fact, in fact, chances are he was probably writing this nearer to the end of his life where he was looking at the valley of the shadow of death. He knew what it was for God to provide for him in the presence of his enemies and yet still to end this psalm at the end of his life, having had great victories and successes and the deepest, darkest of failures to say that surely your goodness and your mercy will run after me all the days of my life. And I just wonder, just for a moment, in fact, I want to encourage you to close your eyes just, just, just for a few seconds, only so that you can focus. I want you to just think for a moment. Whether or not, regardless of where you are in your journey with God, can you think of moments in your life where you would say, the Lord has been my shepherd. He has led me. He has protected me. He has provided for me. He has delivered me. It's one thing to write about this, to read about this, to hear about it. It's another thing to experience our good shepherd. And that's why gratitude is so important, because the more we look back to what he has done, the more encouraged we are, and the more perspective we have in the moment, and often there's mystery attached to the moment, so we can look back with certainty. You can open your eyes. We can look back with certainty. Some of you are like, I'm not going to open my eyes. I'm not going to open my eyes. You told me not to open my eyes. Sorry, I should have opened them earlier. Some of us can look back and because we can see with certainty where he has been faithful, we can stand on that, and that gives us confidence as we look forward to the confusion, as we look forward to the unknown, as we look forward to the stuff that we just don't know. How is that going to work out? Is that even God's will? And where we embrace the mystery or we embrace suffering, let's be honest, one of the toughest things about suffering is the mystery attached. If, if, if you know with confidence that you're suffering for a limited period of time, I don't know, you've had surgery and the doctor's like, Unless something goes wrong, you will feel better a week from now. Like that's, that's, that's a different type of suffering to going through a suffering that is where there is no end date to it. There is, no one can tell you that, that you'll be delivered six months from now, three months from now, a year from now. You've got to go through the process and we hope that that kind of suffering, that kind of uncertainty, that is hectic. Yeah. And yet, he's with us. He says he's rod and his staff, they'll comfort us. We're not alone. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which so naturally we would feel alone. When you're going through your worst moments, your toughest moments, even if there are people around you, it's amazing how alone you can feel. Where you feel like no one else can fully understand exactly what I'm feeling. You, you don't even know how to put it into words. And even if you can put it into words, you still don't feel like others can, can appreciate it fully, can feel it fully. You are not alone. He's rod and his staff, they comfort us. So, stand with me quickly. Let's read the word of the Lord. Psalm 23, 
verse 1 to 6. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. That's a significant statement of faith. That's not denial. That's faith. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely, goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That is a statement about eternity. One day, if we follow, we will live in the house of the Lord forever. And I remember once hearing someone talk about goodness and a failing love, um, or in some versions it says goodness and mercy, you know, like, like following after you. They, they gave me this mental picture of two like little dogs, like little poodles or something. You know, there's like you know, those yappers. Those, and, and he was using that as an example of how goodness and mercy, goodness and unfailing love, it's going to like chase after you. What a beautiful picture of the heart of the shepherd and why we can call him the good shepherd. You can take your seats. Part of the reason why he is the good shepherd is that he leads his flock towards what is good. Even if it is farther and less comfortable than we'd like it to be. So sometimes we like, whoa, 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 we're ready to camp, thank you very much. Sorry, I don't know what that was. Is that closer? I don't know. We'll get someone to do a sheep for you, okay? There we go. Okay, still not working. Like, like there can be a lot, of, a lot of moaning when it's like, we just want to chill out. We just want it easy. We want it now. But, but a shepherd knows where the better posture is. He knows where you're going to be safer. He knows what's best. He knows the journey. He knows things that you don't know. He leads us. He provides, a good shepherd provides everything that the sheep needs. All the, she- the sheep's responsibility is to follow. And then when you come to you know, great posture, pasture or, or water, you have to ch- chew and you have to drink. Like it's not that complicated. But, but the responsibility for leading you there, that is the shepherd. He protects the sheep from predators. He knows that it's not, even though you want your own suite and you'd like your own ensuite and you'd like your own space, he knows that the predator doesn't attack the weakest sheep, he attacks the most isolated sheep. So, so, the, so the shepherd knows that he needs to keep the sheep together. He knows how to protect. I can't help but think of the Lord's Prayer where he instructs us, amongst other things, to pray that he would lead us, that God would lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil. That's part of... That's part of our Father protecting us, our good shepherd protecting us. And by the way, the role of the sheep here are not that of just frightened passive animals, but rather obedient followers. Because we do have a choice. We choose whether or not we're going to follow him to greener pastures, whether we're going to follow him through 
the valley of the shadow of death, whether we're going to follow him to, to where he is leading us. I've got to tell you, there are t- right now even, I'm in a season where I'm, I'm definitely having to claw back from a bit of a, a, bit of a, a season and a valley of fatigue. And, I'm t- and, I'm, and as I'm thinking about it and looking back at it, it's, God's not the variable. It's me where I will override certain healthy limits and, and will kind of just dig a bit deeper or go a little bit longer or, or not allow him to lead me to quiet waters, to peaceful streams. So the sheep, our role is to be obedient followers, wise enough to follow the one who will lead us into the right places and the right way. So all I want to focus on today, in the few minutes I have remaining, is the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. That is a very easy memory verse to memorize. We don't ever get you to memorize stuff, I'm going to mem- I, I, we're going to challenge you and invite you to memorize this psalm, starting with, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. Amen. Think about those two phrases. The Lord is my shepherd, because, because they're connected. I have everything I need. Now, I want you to repeat that after me together slowly, if you don't mind. One, two, three. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Now think about that for a moment. Because if you're anything like me, your first thought is like, really? What about, what about, what about, what about, what about? And as Tammy mentioned, we're not talking about once. We're not talking about what we think we need. We're talking about the fact that if we are following Jesus, he knows what we need, this life and the next. Guys, I I don't, I cannot explain to you sufficiently, I cannot unpack my personality and the way my brain works sufficiently to explain to you that I do not read that passage lightly. For me to make, for me to declare a statement like that, you have to understand, I think through all kinds of suffering, all kinds of injustices and exploitations and what about when this happens what about what about what about so for me to say no i really do believe that god will provide everything we need whether it's in this life or the next i am convinced to my bones that he is trustworthy that he is trustworthy Now again, you only have to read the New Testament to know that following the shepherd and him being good and him being trustworthy does not mean that you are uh, guaranteed, pain-free, a challenge-free life, trial-free life. Look at the life of Jesus. Look at the life of Paul who wrote most of the New Testament where there were beatings, being left for dead, um, imprisoned multiple times, shipwrecked multiple times, hungry at times, uh, cold at other times. So, so I have to read the New Testament and say, okay, God, what does it mean to have everything that I need when it doesn't look like one has everything that they need in the natural? We might touch on that in a moment. What I want to get across first is that we can trust him, that God is trustworthy. Now, trust has to be earned, and so that's why, again, I always want to encourage people, that depending on where you are in your journey, 
I don't want you to be discouraged that someone that has learned to trust God, that has seen the faithfulness of God over years, I don't want you to be discouraged that maybe you're brand new in your journey or, or you're still learning a lot about God's faithfulness. Don't be discouraged that you don't seem to have the same trust that someone else does. It is experiential. It is not just academic. We develop trust. Trust grows. But I do want to stand here and tell you, having been through, I think, a fair bit in my life, a lot of mystery, a lot of confusion, a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of things that have been out of my control, I can tell you with more confidence than ever before in my life that he is the good shepherd and that he is trustworthy. It gives me peace when I care about people or I care about a situation and yet I know that it's out of my control. It gives me a peace, not because I know what's, how it's gonna work out or I know exactly what God's gonna do, but I know what God has done. I know the character that he has revealed. I know that he will never override his character, that he's never not merciful, that he's never not kind, that he's never not gracious, that he's never not motivated by love. And that gives me confidence as, as far as God's part goes when I look at different situations. He is our good shepherd. John 10 verse 11, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his love, his life for the sheep. I don't know about you, but if I have to choose, I'm going to choose the person that's willing to sacrifice their life for me in terms of trusting. Yet, if we think about it, we, we allow so many people to have an influence over our lives that couldn't care less about you. You're just a product to them. You're just, you're just another small portion of commission for them. No, no. If we're going to trust someone, let's trust the person who's willing to lay their lives down for us. And that's why we can agree with Peter where he says in 1 Peter 5 or 7 that we can give all our worries and cares to God. He doesn't say you're not going to have worries. He just says, give them to God. For he cares about you. Or the... The Living Bible uh, paraphrase says, let him have all your worries and cares, for he is always thinking about you and watching everything that concerns you. Yeah. I'm just telling you, he's the good shepherd. We can trust him. Part of trusting him is accepting his limits and his leadership. Now, now those are almost like swear words in the 21st century, especially in 2022. We don't want leadership, we definitely don't want limits, and everything in our human nature, and by the way, media, the, like the typical secular worldview, secular means that God's got nothing to do with it, will tell us that basically there's a formula to get whatever you want. If you just hustle hard enough, if you just believe in it hard enough, if you want it hard enough, if you're willing to pay a high enough price, and what's scary is that there's an element of truth in that. Because yes, if you work harder, chances are you're gonna achieve more. If you, if you cut corners, if you stab people in the back, if you do whatever it takes, if you, if you live with a no, no, no wolf days, hustle till you die type of scenario of I'll sleep when I'm dead, well, chances are for a season you're going to probably see some more results. And so this formula is offered to us, but God says, no, no, there's, there's a different way. And so, we, and so us actually following the good shepherd includes us slowly but surely discerning the limits that he's placed on our life. Where not everybody has the same ability, not everybody has the same, uh, the same personality, the same temperament, the same gifts. Not everyone can put in the same amount of time in studying and produce the same results. Not everyone can carry the same level of responsibility and multiply or bear fruit in the same way. 
He has a unique calling and purpose for your life. And, and if you're married or if you're connected to a family, then, then there are even limits attached to that. That's why married person with kids should never be comparing their lifestyle to a single person, and a single person that's trying to nurture a healthy community around them shouldn't be comparing their lives to people with generations that they're responsible for, but we can accept his limits and obey his leadership, and as that happens, as we trust that he is our shepherd, that, that we have everything we need, we will find contentment, and again, I don't use this word lightly. In the, in the early years of my relationship with God and even Christian leadership, you have to understand, there were many passages that I just wouldn't teach on, I just wouldn't read out because I didn't feel like I could do so with conviction and authority. Not, not that I didn't agree with it, it's just I wasn't there in my journey to be able to say this with heartfelt conviction that, that I'm not using this insensitively where it can actually hurt someone. So when I read this, I'm reading it with conviction. I'm saying this has to apply to someone living in a, in a distant village, someone, somewhere, to someone living in a township, to someone living in, in an estate, to someone living in any part of the world. The Bible has to be the truth. The essence of it has to be true and applicable to anybody in any circumstance, regardless of their socioeconomic level, regardless of their race, regardless of, of their culture. So when Paul, who is writing from prison, he's writing... The, the short letter, the epistle to the Philippians. He's writing this from prison where he's like, hey, rejoice in the Lord. Trust him. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. The peace of God, the past understanding will guard your heart's mind. Blah, blah, blah. He, he goes on to say, guard your heart, guard your minds. Be careful what you think about. And then he just, while he's riffing, he goes on in verse 11 of chapter 4 to say, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Now he's writing from prison. I've learned to be content with whatever I have. Paul, are you smoking something? Are you, are you in denial? Are you one of those prosperity preachers where it's just, you know, you're trying to declare the right thing, or not the right thing, declare what you want and you'll get what you want? No, I think Paul was being exceptionally real. You read his other letters, he was real about challenges, about struggling with his eyes, about struggling with, with all the different uh, imprisonments, beatings, etc. He goes on to say, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. That's contentment, by the way. Contentment is not just being able to trust God when you, have, when you don't have what you think you need. It's also being able to trust God when you have so much more than what you need. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty. Guys, that's like, that's quite mature. Because I don't know about you. When I'm hungry... Like, it's like a phobia, clearly. <laughs> I know how to live on almost nothing. I imagine many of you would know what it's like as a parent to not know how you're going to provide. I imagine many people in this room more than a few, would not have known. There have been times in your life where you would not know what the next meal is going to be. I don't say these things lightly. I don't read scripture as though it's just like a silver bullet. I'm telling you that this is a person who can relate to you. 
He didn't know if all of his friends were surviving. By the way, he didn't have social media and WhatsApp to quickly check in. Hey, Tim, you still alive? And he just stays on, like, the great tick. And a week later, he's like, still great tick. Maybe he's dying. Like, he didn't have this. So, so, so he would go from season to season not, not knowing which of his friends have been martyred, which of his friends are still alive. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ that gives me strength. That last passage, verse 13, that's a beautiful promise that Christians like to read out. We like to put on mugs. You like to put on fridges. I don't know if people still do this nowadays. Maybe it's even part of your wallpaper, screensaver. I just want to point out the context where he's saying, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. That's not saying I can name it and claim it. He's saying in the context of whether I'm hungry, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. Whether I'm full, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. Whether I've got more than enough, I can do all things through Christ. Whether I don't have what I think I need, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I mentioned this in the second service last week. And it was one of those moments that kind of like really stuck with me. And it's, and it's something that, that I want us to keep coming back to and, and referencing. But so often, we want things like peace, self-control, patience, kindness, etc. We want it to be a supernatural gift that is imparted to us. But actually, Scripture tells us that it is a fruit that is formed in us. Now, does, does that not mean that God can give you peace in a moment? Yes, he can. But I just want to point out that, that, it's a, that actually for the most part, it is a lifestyle issue. It is living the way of Jesus. It's not just believing hard enough in the moment. No, no, it's, it's actually living a life. It is fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23 says, it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So, so as I am walking with the shepherd, as I am following He's, he's leading, he's guiding, he's promised. As he's, as, as he's pointing out limits, as he's telling me to hang in there when there's mystery and confusion and suffering and the unknown, and I don't know if this person's gonna make the right decision. Come on, some of you know what it's like to, where, where you're okay with yourself, but there are people that you love. We've had way too many people in our lives that we love, that without exaggerating, without exaggerating, I've, I have I've had to accept that, they will pro- that, that, that it's a, it is a realistic possibility that they will die through, through all choices of their own. But you love them and you want to be able to control. And you, but, but they are a variable. God is still good. God is still reaching out. God is still doing everything he can. But they have to choose. And so I'm saying that it has, God has had to do a work in my heart. Where I remember standing in church 20 Three years ago, like worrying about someone that I cared about. God, what if, what if he dies? What if he kills himself? What if, what if he gets raped in prison? What about, what about, what about? And I just felt like God, he was not insensitive, but in a very gracious way, because this could sound insensitive. I felt like he was saying to me, what if? Now, that can sound very insensitive to an over-sentimentalized individual, but contend me saying, God, help me know what I can do. I can pray. I can encourage, I can hope, but this is out of my control. We got a message yesterday about someone else that I cared deeply about, that made a choice, that, that in all likelihood, unless he turned around, he would die. So what can we do? We pray. 
Two hours later, he made a phone call. He turned around, went back to hospital. There's still hope. But, but I, I was at gym at the time. Be impressed. And, 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 while, and while I'm on the elliptical and while I'm praying, I, am, I have to be able to accept whether he does, whether he doesn't. With this particular person, I've had to live like that for the last 15, 16 years. That is not, I'm, guys, what I'm trying to say is this is not light and trite. I'm saying there is a way as we walk closely, as we persevere in that journey with God, that, that the fruit of peace, the fruit of peace, the fruit of the Holy Spirit of peace can come into our lives to where I can honestly say that the last few years, my default has changed to where up until about seven or eight years ago, my first thought would have been, God, give me the perspective so that I can have peace. And again, I can, I can say it. For most of you, you, you're hearing what I'm saying, and that sounds, sounds great, but when you're in it, what we want is perspective. We want the answers. We want the explanation to where, to where God led me to where, no, no, I can give you peace without perspective. I can give you, well, I mean, it is perspective, but, but basically I can give you peace without the answers. I can give you peace without telling you how it's all gonna work out. And where, where, where we've needed peace the most has always been when it, is, when it is affecting the people closest to us. So when you care the most, when there is the most to lose, but there's freedom. That's what contentment does, it brings freedom. That's what trusting God does, it brings freedom. You, you don't become callous, you don't harden your heart. You keep a soft heart, but you keep open hands. It's like, God, this life isn't all this life, anyway. So I really do believe, and, and the, longer I, the longer I'm going in this journey, the longer that we're trying to help people grow, the more convinced I am that the answer comes down to what we call a rule of life. A rule of life is just another word for a way of life. Because we all have a way of life. And we've got to ask ourselves, is this way, is the way I am living, the way of life is everything from my budget, my schedule, getting perspective, praying the examining, in other words, where we, where we are reflecting. Is it producing the kind of fruit that I think God wants to see in my life? And if it isn't, there is no shame and condemnation. It's an invitation to say, okay, maybe I need to get a little bit more rest. Okay, maybe I need to work more. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm feeling restless because I'm actually lazy and because I'm not actually exercising my gifts and responsibility enough. Or it could be that I'm living very isolated and even though I'm around people, I'm never vulnerable with anybody. Or it could be that, that in theory I have a budget, but I keep overriding that budget because if I actually stop and break it down, I'm not willing to accept God's limits in my life. And I don't feel like it's fair. Our way of life, our rule of life, how we spend time with God, how often we spend time with God, the kind of time we spend with God, if it's just rushed and jam-packed with a lot of information or if, or if we're actually slowing down to allow the truth of Psalm 23 verse one to sink in. Where, where it goes from our heads to our hearts where we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. 
That is a revelation that we need. That is not, those are not just words to remember. That is, that is a revelation for us to receive, to, to embody. It is worth following his way. Take a look at this last, last passage of scripture. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5 to 8. The first part's bad news. Hang in there. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans. By the way, that word cursed, I mean, that's, that's the English word that we use. That sounds like, like, like it's something evil and motivated by hatred. It's not. It's the, to be blessed is simply to, to be experiencing the life that God has for us. To be cursed is to separate ourselves from God and to experience the absence of God in our lives. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert, or in my garden, with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited, salty land. Here's the good news. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. And then I love this description, verse eight. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Come on, man. We are blessed. We can be content. We can have hope. We can have peace when our trust is in the Lord. And even in the dry months, if you've ever gone for a walk at Newlands Forest, for the most part, you kind of land up um, hitting a shop right just, just where there's a little bridge and a, and a river. And if you walk along that section, um, it, there is actually such an incredibly deep embankment as over time the, the water's obviously just worn away. I'm, I'm, I might be exaggerating, but I feel like it's six, seven, eight meters. It's, it's from, the, from the bank down to the actual water stream is very, like it's very low. And on the edges, you see these roots from these massive trees that have just continued to press down deep. In, so even during the, the, the dry months or even during our, our droughts, well, those roots have learned to go deep. And those trees that are big, that provide shade, that provide cover, they're still standing because they've learned to abide. They've learned to press down deep. I wanna encourage you, you can stand with me. I wanna encourage you as we go into this week to not only memorize, but I would love it. I would love it if, if you were willing to just experiment. And by the way, this, is, this doesn't matter where you are in your relationship with God, your journey. If you're still exploring, you've got nothing to lose. You've got nothing to lose by just simply meditating on, reflecting on. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. But for some of us, that can be a real declaration where you get up in the morning, maybe before your feet even touch the ground. Please, for the love of everything holy, before you touch your phone. Because we, we need to exchange whispers with the Lord before we exchange the, the, the shouts of the world. What we, what we end our days with in terms of our mind and what we start our days with, that is what forms us. So imagine if you started off with Started your day, and imagine if you ended your day declaring, the Lord is my shepherd. 
Think about what a shepherd does. Think about the security in a shepherd, the provision from a shepherd, the love of a shepherd. I mean, the shepherd, I don't understand this, but apparently the shepherds know their names. I'm like, that's weird. I'm like, number one, two, you know. But, but there's, an, there's an intimacy. They protect them. They provide for them. When, when they are going stray, they will actually break a leg for the sheep's own good and bring it back to the herd. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I wonder. I'm genuinely curious. If, if over the next few weeks, I'd love to get some feedback on whether or not it makes any difference to us. If this is a truth that we meditate on, pray through, reflect on, and declare for the next month, if we keep allowing ourselves to accept, God, you are able to give me everything I need, including peace when it doesn't make sense, including hope when I have no idea, including a sense of, of strength and, and hanging in there when it's painful and confusing. I don't have to deny my feelings. I can lift them up to you. I can allow you to remind me over and above what I'm feeling. You, you are my shepherd. I have all that I need.